This is Bump and Beyond with Yolandi Becker is brought to you with compliments of Discam Baby City. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It's that time of the week again where we're talking all things parenting with me, Yolandi Becker on Bump and Beyond here on 101.9 High FM. Today's show was brought on by the fact that normally I feel that especially when my children were younger, now that they're a little bit older, I do have to say it's better. But it was always like around March, my children would get sick <laughs> and then um, or start with a snotty nose, let me say that, and it will kind of progress and other things would happen or not, hopefully. But then year around September, I always found that things do start getting a little bit better again. And I, I've always found also, again, as my profession with clients, I've always found this to be true as well. But this year, I don't know what is going on. It seemed to be going better in September. And all of a sudden, all these, I don't know, germs crawled out of spaces. And I feel there's so many kids and people who are sick at the moment. And I don't know if it's normal or not, but I've luckily brought in the big guns today and we are going to be talking about these common baby illnesses and what we can do so again like i'm saying i've got the big guns here so as always i do want you to be part of the conversation so if you have questions for my guest today dr um, Enrico Marichin, who is a pediatrician um, at mediclinic morningside Please start sending in your questions. He can answer them for you. Of course, you can, as always, telegram us on 061-895-1019 or you can SMS us at 34519. SMSs are charged at 150. Again, of course, if you feel inclined to do so, sending a lot more information, you can do that on our email at instudio at highfm.com. But as I mentioned, um, the pediatrician joining me and my expert today, who's not only a pediatrician, he's also a father, Dr. Enrico, Dr. Rico, as he's known. <laughs> Welcome for joining me again. <laughs> uh, thanks, Yolandi. It's always great to be here. And uh, yeah, nice to reach out to a greater audience. Always nice to try and make um, you know people a bit further from the centers, uh, uh, you know, in contact with us. And great to be on your show. Yes, no, and that's also one of the things that I think makes you such a legend. Firstly, the fact that you've probably been in private practice almost 30 years already. And the other fact is that you're always so keen as well to share your knowledge with people. And you've got a great way of also dumbing it down for for us non-doctors, which is also fantastic. And I think that's a gift. So please thank, keep on adding to that. And thank you for that. If you don't know, um, Dr. Rico also has a website. So you can go check out all the many blogs that he has. Um, he also shares a lot of information on different platforms. So please go check that out as well. Because it is really is keen to share and he's got such a vast amount of knowledge. But as I was mentioning before, before I started gushing about him, uh, I was mentioning to you before, I don't know if it's just my imagination, but is it really like I feel that there's so many sick kids at the moment? <laughs> 
Yeah, so Yolandi, you know, when I first started private practice, I thought, you know, I'm going to work all winter and rest all summer. But really, the illnesses are out there most of the time, and you do have ebbs and flows. And, and I mean, I remember the one December, we had more pneumonias in December than we had the, the whole of winter, you know. So if the bugs crawl out the woodwork, they're there and they travel. And, and, and they may, they, it's so multifactorial as to what causes these problems. We can't really say it's one thing or another, but the bugs do travel rather efficiently. And, you know, bugs do need to be, um, uh, you know, looked after. And, uh, you know, our respiratory system is, uh, you know, exposed to liters and liters of air every day. And those are full of little um, uh, respiratory droplets from other people. And, and we do get infected. And then also our tummies, you know, we're exposed to lots of things through our intestines. And um, so we're exposed all the time. And there's this ongoing battle between the body's immune system and the bugs that are trying to invade us. It's almost like a, a full-on war all the time, you know. And if there's a breakdown anywhere, if the bugs are either stronger or your body's weaker, then we're going to start seeing these illnesses, you know. And, um, and uh, that's what happens uh, if the base crawled out the woodwork we, we we're getting infected and we got to look after the bubbies and make sure they get through it yeah and i mean you've mentioned one thing specifically is about the traveling and i think now i mean now we're properly back to normal people traveling all over again and i see it also with even with my husband when he's traveling for work almost every and now again literally came back with the sniffles last week which is still i don't feel mm. like you traveled abroad or anything necessarily but he came back and now he has his sniffles and i feel he's he's targeting us i'm hoping we're going to yeah, avoid look. that but it does actually um have an impact especially if people are traveling to places that are in the northern hemisphere where there is now winter they're coming back and then they infect the rest of us thank you very much <laughs> yeah look and that was well demonstrated during COVID you know we all wore these masks and we practically didn't see any ill people and look it's not good for our immune systems to always wear masks I mean that was a very specific reason why we were masked at the time but uh, you do realize how much we exchange um, uh, I often tell parents you know they're sitting opposite me on my at my desk and, and we exchange the same air you know, so if I've got a bug, you'll pick it up and vice versa. And the international travel definitely plays a big role in uh, bringing bugs in uh, from one area to the other. And I think the, the how quickly COVID spread throughout the world can just demonstrate how, how easily that happens. And even if you shut a country down, the, the, the bugs still got there, you know, yeah. so they do travel. And um, I mean, I, I'm a great protagonist of vaccination. So if you really want to know what keeps your kids very healthy is to make sure their vaccine schedules are up to date. You know, uh, if they're up to date, uh, there's X number of bugs that they're really not likely to get. And uh, so that's why I encourage moms to always make sure that their um, vaccine schedules are up to date. Yeah. And I mean, that's such an important message. Me too. I'm also a big pro vaccinator. I'm in all honesty, my kids still every year get the flu vaccine um, to protect us. And even even though my son still gets it every year, I do feel that it's milder symptoms that he gets when he does get it. Um, the rest of us never. I don't know why, but he's the one. But he's always, we call him the weakest link in our mm. family. <laughs> Look, um, when, when I was in final yes. year specializing, um, we did, um, uh, I looked up the causes of, of, of tummy upset and, and there hundreds of bugs, you know, and there's no way we can immunize to every one of those. So the only way we, 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 
protect ourselves then is to be exposed to those bugs, develop immunity, and ultimately then the next time we're exposed to that same bug, we'll have immunity, and it'll um, protect us uh, on the second exposure. This is Bump and Beyond with Yolandi Becker. is brought to you with compliments of Discam Baby City. Vaccination. Welcome back with me, Yulandi Becker on Bump and Beyond. And if you've just joined me, don't worry. You've only missed a small part. And luckily, it's available as a podcast afterwards. So you don't have to worry about missing anything in essence. Um, today, specifically, we are talking about common baby illnesses and what you can do, how you can identify it, when you need to freak out, when you don't need to freak out, all those things. And as I mentioned before, I've got the big guns here and pediatrician, Dr. Enrico, or as he's known, Dr. Rico, who is in private practice at morning, uh, MediClinic Morningside. Dr. Rico, before we said we, uh, before we went to the ad break, we specifically spoke about, you know, I mean, in essence, we are exposed to, like you said, all the time, um, to different bugs. But what are some of the most common baby illnesses that you have in your practice? That you see. <laughs> Look, most most illnesses that we get are, in fact, viral, and uh, those. Uh, I mean, the predominant ones are going to be respiratory uh, because of uh, what we were saying earlier that we exchange a lot of air um, and and respiratory droplets going in and out of our system, and then the the tummy bugs. Those are really the the, the big ones. Uh, the skin is also a barrier to uh, infection, but luckily we don't see too many. Uh, we don't see as many infections of the skin as we would the respiratory system. So, you know, uh, the viral causes of upper respiratory colds and flus, uh, you know, people call a lot of the upper respiratory systems flu, but uh, you know, there are there's so many other viruses and flu really generally makes you very ill. So a lot of the illnesses you were mentioning that your kids still pick up despite the flu vaccine, they're not really flu. They might be a rhinovirus or an adenovirus or, uh, you know, parainfluenza viruses. So there are many viruses out there and they all cause a similar type of uh, uh, syndrome and then the nose becomes infected and uh, you know sometimes then because your body's low with the immunity um, you'll get um, bacteria uh, that then uh, take advantage of your body being a bit lowered uh, immunity from the viruses and that then um, ultimately sometimes it requires uh, more aggressive treatment than just symptomatic treatment like antibiotics and so on and then the tummy upsets I mean we all know you know the kid wakes up at 3 in the morning and it's vomiting repetitively and then it develops diarrhea. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, you were mentioning my website. Please go to my website at 3 in the morning because, you know, your doctor might not be available. And the website tells you what to do if you've got a temperature and if you've got vomiting and diarrhea. It's just enough to get you through to see your, your, your doctors in the morning or your healthcare professionals. Uh, so those, those are really what takes up a lot of our time. And, um, and, and that's where a lot of the vaccines are also aimed at, um, to try and prevent your kid from having to go and see the doctor quite so often. Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting now that you are, you know, mentioning the tummy bug. For me, like, I feel like when, especially when it's like these hectic temperatures where it becomes so hot, like 38. And I always feel it's like my son also, again, our weakest link, he always get a little, uh, gets a little bit of an upset stomach when these, we have these high temperatures. But in the back of my mind, I'm always wondering, you know, it's like people are always like, oh, you're going to get a cold because it's cold and things like that. And then I'm like, yeah, it's the temperature doesn't make you sick. 
virus is a bacteria make you sick or is there a truth to temperature makes you sick? <laughs> I think, you know, I say there are two groups of doctors. There's those doctors who've got a good immune system and they're very anti-believing that catching a chill makes you ill. And that might be correct. I've got a cousin, he can walk outside with shorts and t-shirt on a very cold night. He'll never get ill. But I've got a very weak immune system. If I go out there, I can assure you the next day (laughs) I've got the virus, you know. So it depends on the individual. Uh, I think, uh, and that's where medicine's also going nowadays. You know, it depends on who you are and what your makeup is and and as we said earlier it's very complex and and it doesn't mean because one person doesn't get ill when they're exposed to cold that another one won't um so it's very individual um but i think you know you you do have to look after yourself and try and you know limit your exposure i mean obviously if you can walk with shorts and t-shirt on a cold night well you can do it you know but if you're the guy that gets ill well maybe mommy's right put a jersey on you know, you know the famous saying you put a jersey on when you're Mother's cold, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I, I had that same experience exactly this morning. But anyway, my son did decide not to go out with a jacket, and I think it was actually the right call. <laughs> um, anyway, another temperature that we need to talk about is, of course, the actual temperature of the baby. I have to say, um, I, I, mean, I mean, that's for me the whole point of this conversation is for parents to kind of also know when they should be worried and when they shouldn't be worried. I could very distinctly remember, and I'm very sure I've told this story before um, on the show, is that the first time my son actually got sick, he was, I think, 18 months, or when he got a temperature, he was 18 months. And uh, honestly, it was a very like low degree. I think it was like 38 degrees, and but I completely freaked out. I immediately gave him Nurofen, but I also rushed to the hospital. Of course, by the time I got to the hospital, the neurofin had started working, so there was no temperature when I got to the hospital. But when should we be uh, worried with the temperature? When is it just a low grade? Obviously, this is a way so, for the, so, the, yeah. the body to react. Basically, basically um, you know... <sighs> You also got to remember there is such a thing as a low temperature and in a very small baby that may also be relevant. Uh, so the temperature below 36 degrees, uh, you know, might be on the low side. So there you might have to wrap your baby and make sure maybe there, maybe the child was exposed to some cold. Then 36 to 37 is really where most people's temperatures are going to be sitting. Um, and before you get to a fever, there is this gray zone between 37 and 38. So I think in my mind, once you're 38 degrees, there is something going on, you know, that's causing a fever, uh, but that's not a high fever. So 38 to 39 is sort of low, lower grade temperatures. 39 to 40 is starting to be a high, high grade temperature. And look, above 40, the alarm bells must ring. You know, uh, you got to get that temperature down because there is such a thing as called the fever fits. Uh, we are high fever, especially if the fever goes up very quickly, the child can have a propensity to develop a convulsion and and for me that's the worst thing a parent can ever witness because when that happens you immediately think you're going to lose your child but luckily it's not something that happens, Uh, you know, children with fever fits if you get medical help uh, it's not going to take your baby's life but you do have to control the temperature at that point in time. So so what we're trying to do is prevent you getting to that point where, you know, your child's in danger and that's where you're going to use, um, you know, when it's low grade you'll use a paracetamol and when there's a high grade, um, then you, you'd uh, use an anti-inflammatory, which would include, you know, ibuprofen. 
Um, so I, I must say, in, I'm quite aggressive with controlling fevers in my practice, and I think that's why I don't see too many fever fits uh, in my practice. But you know, in areas you know where where maybe people aren't treating as aggressively, you may see those. Uh, but any doctor's going to see a fever fit from time to time. And then you know the other warning signs, you know. I think the mother's neck is a good point uh, of reference. If you're hot under the collar, <laughs> yeah. there's a problem. Don't ignore your instinct. I would tell moms, don't ignore your instinct. If you instinctively as a mother think there's a big problem, rather check it out. Because a, a small problem checked out is not a problem, but a big problem not checked out can be a problem. So, so look out for warning signs, a lethargic baby, crying continuously, um, you know, not able to do anything, not able to eat, not able to drink. Um, also a baby who, you know, is sleeping very long. You know, people think, oh, well, the baby's being very good. It slept for, uh, uh, you know, 12 hours. Well, maybe it's not waking up because it can't wake up. So those are all oh. warning signs that must say, hang on, mommy, you know, like you're hot under the collar. It's time to get to the doctor. Um, you know, it's time to check this kid out. Oh. And I mean, like you said, the temperature – uh, like I said, I completely freaked out about the temperature that I had, but I've been more informed. And that's why it's such an important thing for parents to know when kind of the lower grade, the higher grade and what to do. If you've just joined us, I am speaking to pediatrician Dr. Enrico Marichan specifically about um, baby illnesses, common baby illnesses. As always, I want you to be part of the conversation. So if you do have any questions for him or for me, or just to share something that has happened. Maybe you've experienced a high fever with your child and you freaked out or didn't. Maybe share that with us as well. Um, on Telegram, you can send us a Telegram on 061-895-1019 or you can SMS us at 34519. SMSs are charged at 1 Rand 50. Um, another thing with fevers, though, should you be – should you, because now you talked about the lower grade between like 37, 38 and, or 37, um, 38, 39 and then the higher grade, um, over that. Should you be more vigilant when the baby's smaller? Is there a time when they're a little bit older where you can be less worried about that? Um, where you can just treat it at home? When should you be rushing to the hospital? No, look, I think if you, if you've picked up a temperature and you've tried to control it, um, you know, I always start with the low grades with paracetamols and if it's not winning, then add the anti-inflammatories. Um, but there, there are two factors. If it's an older kid even and you're not winning, you need to sort it out because uh, someone's got to guide you as to the way forward. And also to make sure that there isn't something uh, more sinister on the go. Um, and then on the high grades, you know, um, look, small Smaller babies uh, are more at risk, so one doesn't want to ignore the smaller babies. So, so babies less than three months of age, um, you know, the immunity they, they they do have the mother's immunity when they're born, but that gradually wanes as uh, it wears off, and then the baby has to develop its own I- immunity. So they are a little bit more at risk when they're less than three months of age, uh, but nonetheless, I mean, you know, even an adult who has a fever of forty and it's ongoing and so on. On, um, you know, um, don't, don't ignore it. There may be things that are happening. You know, and, and uh, ever had a child with a forty? I think I would literally freak out with a forty. I think the highest yeah. I've experienced was close, like thirty nine point eight, maybe. But yeah, mm. 
I would really, I would think that the red already, when it makes red on the thermometer, my it's head big. is like, my eyes become really big and I become very worried. You mentioned earlier as well that some of the most common things, obviously, that you see is like viral infections with upper respiratory things as well. And that brings in coughing as well. For me, always, I doctors also like, oh, if you go to the pharmacy and you want to get cough mixture, it's like, is it a dry cough or is it a wet cough? And I'm like, always like, I'm not a hundred percent sure what the difference is between a dry cough and a wet cough. Yeah. So, so look, um, different, um, the same bug may manifest in different ways, you know. Um, but I think, um, you know, uh, when, when you're dealing with kids, um, a very harsh dry cough can mean that the actual, uh, voice box is infected and inflamed and, and that, um, uh, often is, is caused by croup. And, um, croup is a very dangerous condition because, you know, if you, if you have what that classically causes is a child battling to breathe in and out. And I often sort of imitate to the parents, you know, what that sounds like because, um, if they know what they're dealing with, um, then, then they can act on it. So if the child's struggling to breathe, and I'll make the noise, you know, that when they're breathing in and they start going, ooh, 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 or they might be breathing in and out in the same way, ooh, 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 or then they start struggling to breathe, that is definitely an alarm bell. You know, you, you, you cannot ignore that dry cough. That, that you really got to get to your nearest casualty. And unfortunately, this usually happens at two or three in the morning. And, um, and parents are, ah, oh, no, we'll wait till tomorrow till the doctor's awake. No, that, that, that's one cough that you don't ignore. And when the, when the baby coughs, it'll often sound like you've got a little dog in the house. So that, that, um, is, is a ha, ha, ha. So if you see that's all starting to go down, if it's two in the morning, don't be considerate of anyone. There are casualties that are open. Go to the casualty. They'll sort you out. That probably is croup. My daughter also had croup. And I mean, the first time I heard that, it was, it's hectic. It's really, really scary. It's a big very scary. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then look, the wet coughs, yeah, it means there's more phlegm and more inflammation. And, you know, at that point, one might need to um, uh, treat with appropriate medications. And look, I find every doctor's got their little preference for how they're going to treat it and how they're going to approach it. And obviously, one of the big things that doctors have got to contend with is um, the resistance to antibiotics. So, you know, one doesn't really want to jump into antibiotics straight away, um, especially for the fact that maybe even up to 80% of illnesses when they first uh, present are viral. Uh, but, you know, should it progress, should it lower your immunity, should it not get better, should the child keep deteriorating, you know, then that that, that does become an issue. Uh, but uh, I think, you know, everybody would have their little preference on, on how they're going to treat. Uh, well, Krupa would be clear cut. You know, you have to treat quite aggressively uh, and the doctors will know what medications to use in that setting and sometimes it also involves nebulizing. Uh, then the wet cough, you know, different people treat differently and um, then ultimately if you're going downhill not winning, one might add uh, antibiotics down the line. Yeah. Um, on the note of like lots of phlegm and stuff like that, another very common thing, obviously, and which is often a bit of a struggle with little babies is snotty noses. Of course, babies breathe through their noses most of the time, or they should be breathing through their noses most of the time. But if their noses are stuffy, this can have an impact on that. 
lots of products these days that you get. You get these cool nose-sucking devices that you can get. Are these safe to use? Can we use them? Should we use them? Because I found them quite helpful, but I've also read yeah. some things that it's not a great tool to use. So look, I mean, if if you if the nose is very obstructed, one's got to try and open that up. So if it's not a big deal, and 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 you starting out, um, you could uh, start off with some saline. And uh, so what the saline does is it breaks down the little bonds that make it mucus sticky. And if it's sticky, you're not likely to sneeze it out or cough it out. Uh, so at that point, put it in, uh, see if it works. The child may sneeze. Sometimes they may even swallow the saline, which makes them cough a little bit. But that's not the into the world, you know, it's clean saline that we're using. Um, uh, so, so don't be shy on that. That's a good place to start. But if the child's really battling to move air through the nose, and 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 children do prefer to breathe through their nose, mouth breathing is more difficult than nose breathing for children. So, um, if you're not winning, then one can look at the more aggressive treatments, uh, including decongestants to start with, um, and then um, you know it may progress depending because decongestants can only be used for five to seven days at a time. You can't push them longer. So if you are struggling beyond five to seven days with a very congested nose, it is also time to consult a healthcare professional at that point in time. And then look, uh, if you, um, uh, not winning altogether with a nose, you know, and, um, so, so when one gets recurrent illnesses and, and you, you can't breathe through your nose at all, one must remember that there is a little structure called the adenoid that sits at the back of the nose that serves a very similar function to the tonsils in your mouth. So that one protects the bugs coming in through your nose and the tonsils protect the bugs coming through your mouth. Uh, so those are called the adenoids and those can obstruct your nose. And, and those do need treatment uh, if they become an ongoing issue. Um, I mean, I'm learning as well so much, and I'm I'm just glad I don't have a small baby anymore. I have to say that because for <laughs> me it was really one of the most stressful things when a baby got sick, and you can't ask them um, what is wrong. And I mean, I do also have to say, even when children now, my kids are already 10 to 12. I mean, my son now has started to say more specifically what is wrong. But also for a very long time, I felt like all illness has manifested as stomach pain. So any kind of time when they were sick, they always mentioned that they had a stomach pain. But more on that just after this break. <laughs> this is Bump and Beyond with Yolandi Becker is brought to you with compliments of Discam Baby City. And just like that, we are very strongly running out of time again today, which is good because it means that we've learned something today, I guess. Um, I've been speaking to Dr. Enrico Marichan about specifically common baby illnesses, how you treat them, when you should be freaking out, when you should um, not be worried. So um, if you've missed it, of course, you can catch it as a podcast on hifm.com. It wouldn't be a problem and because all of my podcasts are there and also all the other shows that we have on HiFM is also available on um, HiFM.com for you to go listen to at your own convenience as well. It's really great. Um, Dr. Rico, before we went to the ad break, I was meeting my daughter. There was a long period of time where she um, actually, um, like all the time, any kind of illness I felt like was manifesting as a stomach pain. 
is that a thing or was that also again one of those things that are my imagination? So if you think of adults, um, you know, if we complain, we normally complain of a headache. Yes. And uh, for children, they don't often complain of headaches, even though they do, they, occasionally they complain of headaches, but they often would manifest with tummy pain. And, um, I mean, it can just be a general part of what we call malaise. Malaise means you're just feeling run down and ill and, and not well. Um, but um, the other components of tummy pain is if it's a virus, it might also be involving, uh, you know, the glands that are in, um, in the tummy. Or it might be that when you've got a high fever, uh, when you're generating a high fever, the blood supply to the tummy is cut off. Uh, oh. So that the, the blood supply goes to the center part of the body uh, where you then build up that fever and that in in nature would also then cause a tummy pain so if you've got a fever and you've got tummy pain you know that it's all part of the whole dynamic of of getting the blood to where you need to generate heat to to make the fever so so yeah kids there are two components is the headache component they don't get a headache they get a tummy pain and the other one might be if you are developing a fever you're cutting off that supply to the to the intestines, which is a non-essential structure, and all the blood supply goes to, you know, the core of the body, the center of the body, where you're trying to generate that fever, and that, uh, you know, would of course generate tummy pain. Yeah, see, you see, and I was always like, because initially I just remember that I was always thinking like, how can they have stomach pains all the time? But now, mm. and then I learned over time. So a very big tip for moms out there: it's not always maybe an actual tummy pain. It could could be something else that is manifesting. It is. It's very interesting. Another big one on that note of actual tummy pain is constipation. Um, before you go, um, we can talk about that, that as well. Constipation is also, I feel like, a big thing with babies. And um, for me, the interesting thing as well that I experienced as a mom, also again recently, even with older children, is that sometimes we can incorrectly think our children have diarrhea and then it is actually constipation. <laughs> Yolandi, I, I, I think we need a whole session on this because <laughs> if you ask me, this is the pandemic of pediatric illness. You know, um, you know, in the bad old days, and I don't, I don't condone uh, forcing kids to eat anything, but kids were forced to eat fruits and veg. But you know, we dealing with generation negotiate. They'll negotiate any deal with any parent or adult or whatever. So in other <laughs> words, they don't eat fruit and vegetables. And that's where it's at. But that's a big pandemic. Uh, I, I see kids with severe, severe tummy pain. Uh, and, and as you say, the reason they've got diarrhea when they're constipated is the, the hard stool blocks the intestine and then there's nowhere for that stool to go and the stool above that stool ferments and they get what's called overflow diarrhea. So the diarrhea runs past that hard stool. So you still got this cork blocking the whole system, but you get the diarrhea that floods past it. So now you're cheating this child for diarrhea. You're trying to bind up the stools and meanwhile, they, all they really need is to pass this hard piece of stool so that they can actually move on uh, with their with their life. But it's a big pandemic. I th- I'd actually encourage you at some stage to consider having a whole session on that because it's, I would it's love a to. big problem. And, and, I, and we need our dietitians to come and tell us what we're doing wrong, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to have a session on that specifically just so that I can say poop a lot on live radio 
know, that's a pet love of mine to say inappropriate mm. words. But you won't mention the pictures, I guess. Parents want to know: is this okay or isn't it okay? But <laughs> but, but it's because they're worried, and there is there is definitely scope for helping people in this is there, regard. Is there a, a red flag when it comes to the coloring of a poop? Should, is there a uh, color that you should okay. say go to the hospital now? <laughs> yeah. Well, look, poo poo. Uh, yeah, people worry a lot about the color, but the the, the very serious colors are are in a very small baby white because no poo should ever be white. Uh, that means there's a digestive issue, uh, especially in a very small baby, less than uh, six to eight weeks of age. Then um, you know, uh, blood in a poo is always a problem, and a, a very black poo, other than in the newborn period. Newborn babies, when they first spot meconium, it, it can be black or, or dark green. But um, you know, a, a black stool in an older child can mean digested blood. So those are definite warnings that you know this is time to get medical help. You know, but but look, uh, the constipation is often not as big a problem as that. And luckily, we don't see too many kids with those big problems. But the constipation is a big problem. It's, it's definitely we we battle a lot, and it's mainly because we're not balancing our diets with the right amount of fiber and there's the soluble and the insoluble fibers and so on and that's why sometimes we do need dietitians to advise us you know how much soluble fiber how much insoluble fiber you know do fruit and veg all day uh, the more fruit and veg we eat the healthier we are you like know like you said a good conversation for the future mm. I, I'm, I'm very I'm already put it on the list of discussions Excellent. before you um, go Dr. Rico one last thing what I think you've already mentioned one thing that is important, but what is your top like preventative mechanism to avoid common baby illnesses? Yeah, I think um, so. The uh, the only things that have been bigger than vaccination has been, you know, having uh, running tap water in a house and and sanitation in a house. Uh, other than that, the next biggest uh, step forward for humanity preventing illnesses is definitely vaccination. So, uh, you know, we, we're always happy to hear that there are more and more vaccination stations out there and people getting out there and uh, and having their vaccines. Those are definitely uh, antibiotics. They treat illnesses, but uh, they they have also made a big impact on treating illnesses. But they haven't made an impact on preventing illnesses. Great. Um, so, Dr. Rico, it's been so wonderful having you as always on the show, and we've already got something lined up for the new year as well. I can't wait yes, for that. Yes, but um, before you go, uh, you are in private practice at the MediClinic in Morningside. Um, what is your website details? Uh, yeah, so, so it's actually, if you just look up Dr. Maraskin, so DR and then space MARA and then my name pops up there and you, uh, the website uh, will take you there. But it's, uh, Dr. Maraskin at, uh, uh, um, drmaraskin.co.za. Um, but, uh, yeah, and there's lots of info there for, for really? parents. And if it's not on my website, it will be on someone else's website. So <laughs> don't be shy. I know the new generation, they're not shy of, of, of elect, you know, getting the information electronically. Um, don't be shy to get information off, uh, the, the media. There's a lot of good, helpful information out there. Great. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Yolanda. Thanks for the invitation. You.
<laughs> really appreciate it. No Have problem. a good day. <laughs> this is Bump and Beyond with Yolandi Becker is brought to you with compliments of Discam Baby City. And just like that, another show is done. And it was a wonderful one today. Even I learned a lot of things um, and was reminded of so many moments in the past where I did not know all the right things to do. Because as a mom with a small baby, it is so easy to freak out because unfortunately they can't tell you what is wrong. I mentioned that my daughter eventually started um, telling me her tummy was sore, but it's a long time until that happens. When they're small, I would say 18 months, they couldn't, it's only from like three child, like they could start verbalizing when something was wrong. You know your child, follow your instincts when it comes to that. And I hate saying that to parents because I really, and I've said this before, I've never really thought that I woke up one morning and I knew what to do. Um, I've learned, and this is what this show is all is uh, all about is informing you with like great content to help you through this parenting journey as always don't worry if you've missed the show it will be available as a podcast with various other topics as well available for you to go check out on highfm.com um if you've got any specific topics that you want me to cover um i know in the past someone has also said introduction to solids we've now got constipation is a whole topic coming up next week specifically we will be talking about sleep um about newborn sleep specifically how their sleep works how you can handle those situations um what you should do to better their sleep and 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 so if you've got questions on that please be sure to send it to us um and we would love to answer them and um yeah talk to you about your newborn sleep or if you're pregnant and you're stressing about that initial because i think that's one of the main things people tell you when you're having a new baby is like you're not going to sleep like as if you're not been sleeping because you're pregnant and your yeah, sleep is very foreign in between one of the big things um, that I want to leave you with is um, the doctor even said that is that um, the best way to prevent um, illnesses and common baby illnesses is to keep your vaccinations up to date. So please go out to the Discam Baby Cities. They do the full schedule, government and private schedules, where you can get them at any clinic. Um, and I can tell you, my daughter this game babysitting is the, the only place where she goes to um, for her vaccinations because that's the only place apparently where there's a nurse that doesn't hurt her. So uh, this is now like um, confirmation from a nine-year-old that that's the place to go to if you don't want to get hurt is at the Discam Baby City for your vaccinations. Keep those up to date, the best prevention. It has been wonderful and I look forward to next week um, to chatting to you. The world is changed by our example, not by our opinion. Let's lead by example for our children. Thank you so much for joining me today. Until next week, enjoy your day.